For years and years, I was just surviving, not really living and especially not thriving. I went through the ringer with therapy, journaling, exercise. I even tried to quiet my mind with meditation. It wasn't easy, hell, it was like, it was like starting basic training all over again. But with my mind, my heart, and my soul on the line. Through my vulnerability, I began to understand that scars aren't just reminders of the battles we've fought. They're proof of the battles we've won. That personal battle is why this giving season, I'm joining forces with Love Your Brain. This incredible organization is a beacon of hope for those affected by traumatic brain injuries, helping them not just to survive, but to thrive. Like my journey, many in the TBI community are fighting their own battles, seeking to transform survival into thriving. And Love Your Brain offers free programs and resources providing the support and understanding needed in this transformation. I'm inviting you, my listeners, to be a part of this empowering mission. Your donation can light the path for someone struggling in the darkness of TBI. It can offer a hand to hold, a community to belong to, and resources to heal. So please join me in supporting Love Your Brain Visit the link in the show notes and make a donation or simply to hear the rest of my story. Together, we can turn scars into symbols of victory and resilience. Thank you for your kindness and for standing up with us in this journey of healing and empowerment. Welcome back, listeners, to another inspiring episode of the Prevention Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Clausen, and today... We're diving into story of transformation, resilience, and the power of making a difference. Our guest is none other than Nathan Ray, a man who has journeyed from the depths of addiction to the heights of empowering youth and communities. Nathan's story is not just about overcoming personal challenges. It's a testament to the incredible impact one person can have when they turn their struggles into a force for positive change. And as a prevention coordinator and a beacon of hope for many, Nathan is reshaping the narrative around addiction and recovery, proving that every setback can be a setup for a remarkable comeback. And in this episode, we'll explore Nathan's journey, his insights on emotional regulation, and how building trust and connection can transform lives. Whether you're a parent, educator, or fellow prevention leader, or just someone looking for a dose of inspiration, this conversation is a must listen. So sit back, kick back, and settle in as we embark on this enlightening journey with Nathan Ray, a true warrior in the realm of prevention and youth empowerment. So let's get started. All right. Prevention leaders, we are back for another episode. And today, my guest is actually somebody that I first connected with on social media. I was attending the National Alliance for Drug and Danger Children's Conference in Kansas City, Missouri. 
and through the conference app, there's this, uh, this gentleman that was very active in posting and just wanting to connect and make friends. And y'all know how I roll being prevention is better together. I couldn't help but say, Hey man, let's connect. And so we linked up, we clicked, we had lots of stories to share, and I'm just glad that our paths have crossed and our conversations continuing well beyond the conference. So first tip of the hat to y'all remember network, make friends at these conferences. You'll never know who you're going to meet, what you're going to learn and what opportunities might come of it. So that's the spiel. That's the intro. So without further ado, Nathan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. I, I remember sitting in my hotel room and, uh, you know how you get like Instagram bots, you know, and, and you're like, mm -hmm. that can't be a real person. Um, I'm mm -hmm. always skeptical of like who reaches out or who sends a message. And I think you would first send a message like, Hey, let's connect. And, and I was like, nah, this, it's just a bot, you know, <laughs> I can upsell and help you reach so many blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But it, uh, you turned out to be a real person and, um, and we did connect and we had a, I, th I think we had a great time, um, meeting that first day, great conversation. And then we even got to have dinner, I think a couple of times, um, while we were there and, um, and yet networking at those events is so important um, because the information that other people have and the knowledge that they they're willing to share uh, can mm -hmm. take you from where you're at. Doesn't matter where you're, what level you're at, and you can elevate. I mean, you can really elevate just by networking with people. So yeah, that's super important. And there's a story from that conference when you got pulled up on stage, but we're going to hold on to that till uh, later yeah. in the conversations because I know you, but our listeners don't. So before we re really get into the, the meat and potatoes of this conversation, would you mind introducing yourself a little bit about who you are and where you're at? And then also yeah. what led you to doing what you do now? Yeah. So, um, I mean, they already know I'm Nathan Ray. Uh, I am a, um, prevention coordinator for the Rome County Anti-Drug Coalition. Um, a part of that is being the Drug Endangered Children Response Team Coordinator. Um, and that is through a, a grant provided by the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation uh, Dangerous Drugs Task Force. Uh, I'm also a motivational speaker, and I, I don't even like that title, um, but uh, it, I'm just, I just enjoy speaking. Um, and so uh, I do that at, at high schools and middle schools, conferences um, all over the place. We'll actually be in Indiana um, here in a couple of weeks. So uh, might have to do lunch or dinner. Uh, but um, yeah, so uh, that's what I do full time is uh, prevention coordinator and speaking um, just all over the place. I'm a, a dad and a husband. I've got four kids, uh, four really great kids. Uh, and I came into this job. Um, I was working with youth groups, uh, before I ever even applied for this job, uh, and just being like a youth mentor and, um, and, you know, going on youth trips with students and being there to, uh, answer questions or encourage them or just listen, um, to what they were going through. When this job came available, I, uh, I applied for it, uh, didn't hear anything back immediately. 
Uh, and um, finally was able to interview with the coalition director, executive director. And it just made sense. I mean, it was just, just like how you and me clicked. Uh, it just, it just clicked. And I've been doing this for, uh, for six years, almost seven now. And uh, love every single day. Every day is different. And, um, and it's not hard to get out of bed in the morning to do this. Your passion and drive is also front and center. Like, yeah, you are doing what you love. And that alone is inspiring, yeah. enlightening, and encouraging. Yeah. I said the other day, I didn't know how much this job would mold and shape me uh, and help me understand what I'm passionate about and, uh, and help me understand that, uh, that I have this purpose. Uh, I didn't realize how much when I walked in this front door, uh, the very first day, I had no idea how this, this job would change me and for the better. And it really has. And it's just been incredible to see the journey of who I was six years ago, um, mm -hmm. to who I am today. It's been incredible. Tell me a little bit about your purpose. Hit me with that. What, what do you, what do you see as your purpose through your job? So, um, my purpose is, uh, I help students, uh, overcome adverse childhood experiences so that they can become the best, most productive citizens, uh, that they could ever imagine being, um, that's my purpose. And, you know, not every student experiences multiple adverse childhood experiences. But at some level, every student experiences some type of traumatic event in their life. And if I can educate them on how to regulate their emotions, um, if I can teach them how to use positive coping skills, uh, and if I can inspire them to make good, healthy decisions, then that's what I'm going to do. Uh, and that is my, my purpose. I, I know that. I, I, every time I'm asked that question, that is going to be my response. Yeah. You mentioned part of your, your passion around the work you do is helping the youth, you know, level up and, and continue to grow. You also mentioned sort of some working in deck, drug endangered children. Yep. I wonder if you might give us a little, little insight, a little glimmer into the passion, the personal passion behind that, if you may. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I'm sitting in my mom and dad's living room. Uh, I am 12 years old at the time. My dad is sitting on the couch and he's not saying a word. Um, my dad would shut down whenever. I was in trouble. Uh, my mom was sitting next to him and she was crying and she kept saying over and over again, where did I go wrong? Where did I go wrong? Where did I go wrong? That couch was so important to me. I would stay up really late at night and I would watch a TV show called A&E and Evening at the Improv. 
And I dreamed of becoming a comedian. I wanted to be funny. I wanted to make people laugh. Like that was everything I ever wanted. But this day was different. I wasn't laughing and they weren't laughing. Uh, I had gone to a birthday party earlier that afternoon. And uh, there was a girl there who said, if you come out back with me and smoke a cigarette, I will be your girlfriend. And I was like, play queen, say less. Like, let's go, let's do this. <laughs> and so we went, cause I'm thinking like, oh, I'm going to be the king of the block. This is going to be the best ever. And after the, after the cigarette, of course, there's going to be a kiss, right? Cause we're, we're going to be boyfriend and girlfriend. So we go out back, we smoked a cigarette. She puts it out and she goes, how is this messing with you? And so in that moment, like I knew in that moment, I was addicted to nicotine. I knew it. I knew it. And so I go home and my parents smell the cigarettes on me. And here we are in this moment. My mom and dad could have told me things like, Nathan, nicotine can lead to long-term effects on the adolescent brain, but they didn't, they didn't say that. Um, they could have said, Nathan, nicotine actually changes adolescent brain cell activity and the parts of the brain responsible for attention, learning, and memory. And they didn't, they didn't say it. They could have said, Nathan, nicotine can actually lead to an increased risk of future addiction. And they didn't say that. And for me, it, it really did. Um, and they could have even said, Nathan, your grandmother on, on your dad's side just died of lung cancer. Why are you making these decisions? Why, why, you know, why is this happening? But they didn't even say that they just grounded me for two weeks. That was their standard. They would ground me for two weeks whenever I was in trouble. And after that two weeks, I went right back to smoking cigarettes. At 13 years old, I was offered marijuana and my brain, in my brain as a teenager, I thought, if cigarettes aren't hurting me, what's marijuana going to do? At 14, I was offered alcohol. Well, if marijuana and cigarettes aren't hurting me, that's what I'm thinking in my brain. If these things aren't hurting me, what's alcohol going to do? And before I know it, I'm a young adult parent who's not being a dad, who's not being a husband, uh, and is missing out on every part of his family's life because I'm more driven at that time by the party life. So one night I, I come home and I had been at the bar and I drank and I stopped at a friend's house and, and smoked marijuana. We got high. I came home and it was about, I guess, three in the morning and my wife was waiting at the door for me. And she said, Nathan, you have to make a choice. You can be a husband and a father, or you can live that life, but you cannot do both. Now, marijuana, alcohol, tobacco, all of those substances affect the part of the brain that's responsible for good decision-making and not make a good decision that night. I packed a bag and I left. Um, and I ended up living in a garage for nine months. For nine long months, I lived in a garage. And she would call me and she would say, would you please come see your son? 
And I'd go, yeah, I'll be there in a few minutes. And I just wouldn't, I wouldn't go. She'd call me again and she'd go, will you please come see your son? He needs his dad. And I'd go, yeah, just get off my back. I'll be there. And I, I didn't go. And one time she called me and she said, you don't have to look at me. You don't have to talk to me. I won't even be in the same room with you. Just come and see your son. And I said, yeah, I'll be there in a few minutes. And I, I didn't go. And, uh, I woke up after like nine months of conversations like that. I woke up one morning and I had two thoughts. Number one was who would care if I didn't show up? My dad was mad at me. My mom was mad at me. Everybody was mad at me, rightfully so. And the second thought was I need to talk with somebody because I'm not in the right frame of mind. And so I, I called my wife and, you know, and, and just poured everything out. Like, I'm sorry, I, I messed up and uh, I really want to try. And, um, and her response was, you, you need to be sober before we can do anything, like even make a, a good decision here. And, um, and so I, I ended up calling my dad and I really thought, you know, he was just going to be like, dude, get out of here. You, you can't, you can't even come over. Um, but my dad, his response was, um, was different from all the other responses he's ever had. My entire life, I had heard what's wrong with you, Nathan, what's wrong with you, Nathan. And I get it. I understand why they asked me that question. I made so many poor decisions. You, you would want to ask somebody what's wrong with you. But this day was different. He, um, he said, how did we get here? And it was like him opening up the floodgate and, and being willing to listen of everything that had happened in the past that brought us to this moment. Uh, and so my dad helped me find a counselor, um, to go and talk to, uh, and then from there, uh, I found a therapist, um, and was able to start learning how to cope, uh, learning how to manage my emotions, uh, and learning how to make amends for, uh, for all the bad decisions that I had made, um, about six months of counseling and therapy, I ended up getting to go back home, uh, with my wife and my son, and we've been married 21 years now. Uh, and, uh, we just celebrated 21 years of marriage on October 29th, um, of 2023 and six, the six months of no marijuana, no alcohol, no tobacco. Uh, I celebrated the 20th year of that October 23rd of 2023. I've got goosebumps right now for both of those anniversaries. Yeah. Um, I don't have a bleep button, but. Hell yeah. 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 Same. Yeah. Yeah. What a, a beautiful transformation. And yeah. I personally like how you, it's like you're sick and tired of sick and tired. And so you asked, you asked for help and that ain't easy, man. I know been there. No. At, that ain't easy. No. And, and asking for help is, is so important. Um, but I think the, the main contributing factor of my success is my family didn't reject me, but mm -hmm. they loved me through that with caution, mm -hmm. with caution. Um, mm -hmm. 
and, and I, they did not enable me. Um, and there were times where I was like, I can't pay this bill. And I'd, I'd act all emotional. Like I can't pay this bill. Life isn't fair. And they'd be like, yeah, life isn't fair. Um, but we love you and, uh, and you'll get through it, uh, because they didn't want to give me money. And, and that was very, very smart of them. Uh, cause they knew that if I was tempted, I would take that money and just go buy a 12 pack or a 30 pack or go buy a bag of marijuana. And, um, and then that money, that bill wasn't going to get paid anyways. And mm. then I'm just relapsing and, uh, being in a spot where right on. So they really tough loved me through it. Uh, and that mm. was the contributing factor. And, and I would say that if anybody asks for for help from a family member as a family member, it's okay to hold them accountable. It's okay to say you messed up, but love them through that recovery process. It's so important. So if you were to look back on the past six, almost seven years, what's maybe a, a memorable moment or, or high point where you saw the impact you, you had or just that aha moment where it was, oh yeah, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. That's a great question. Um, I was, uh, I was at a football game, a high school football game one night and, uh, I was there with my kids and I was walking to the concession stand and I was going by myself. Um, and a student walked up to me and he said, Hey, you're, you're Nathan, right? And I said, yes. And he said, you spoke in my class about three months ago about the dangers of vaping. And I said, yeah, I remember that. And he said, well, I want you to know that at the time I, I was vaping. He said, but I've, I've been completely vape free for about 30 days now. And it's because of what you came to the classroom and, and taught us. And that was like that moment of like, man, even if it was just him, even if I didn't impact anybody else for the rest mm -hmm. of my life, I'm golden right here. Like I'm, I'm good. This was like the moment, you know, mm -hmm. and it was so mm -hmm. good. I mean, it was just one of those confirmation moments. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Yes. It, it's not like, yeah, that I can see how that would just fuel you just, oh yeah, you already got drive, but that's just going to throw, you know, more on it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like that was just pouring gas on the fire. I mean, I was like, where's the next school? Well, so speaking of that, like, so going to schools, going to classrooms and, and talking, what does that mean? Unpack that for me. What do you do? When we go into a classroom, um, when I go into a classroom, um, I'm taking evidence-based curriculum. Um, I'm not going to just go in and wing it and say, um, and start preaching to students. Uh, the great thing about our students today is that they tell us what they want, um, and they want, uh, education. And so we go in and, um, we take evidence-based curriculum, um, thrive resiliency, um, lead law enforcement against drugs and violence. Um, we had a, um, a life skills, uh, grant. We don't have it anymore, but we still use that, uh, curriculum. Um, we used, um, pathways, uh, some of that curriculum as well. And so we just go in and, and educate the students on the dangers of alcohol, tobacco, and other drugs. Uh, that's for the classroom. 
uh, when we do an assembly, uh, the assembly is, is typically me telling my story, uh, of the adverse childhood experiences I went through, um, making poor decisions as a young adult, uh, and then learning through counseling and therapy, um, coping skills and emotional regulation and applying that into every situation of my life, uh, and how my life turned out. And, uh, and so that's, that's what we do in assemblies. What would you say would be say two or three key insights or tips to, to, that make those assemblies to make those, that curriculum or the curriculum you offer so impactful? Um, the first tip I would say is that, uh, Whenever I have an assembly, I connect with students as they come in. I don't stand behind a curtain. I don't stand behind backstage. Um, I'm front and center and I want to give them fist bumps. I want to tell them, Hey, nice shoes. I want to tell them, um, I like your hair. I want to connect with them. If I see something like if I see a shirt that they're wearing, um, you know, uh, I, I've lived all over the country. So. If somebody's got a Seahawks shirt on, I'm going to go, oh, Seahawks. I used to live in Bellevue, Washington. I'm going to connect with students immediately. That's the first thing. Um, because if I don't connect with them, well, why do they even need to listen to me? What, what am I going to say that's going to make a difference in their life if I haven't connected with them first? Um, so that's number one. Uh, number two, uh, the second tip would be uh, is to get them moving, get them excited, uh, that it's not just some guy coming in to talk. Oh, uh, I'm going to play music. We're going to sing songs. We're going to have a dance off. Uh, we're going to move around, um, and make it fun, uh, because we're going to talk about some pretty serious topics, but I want them to know that, you know, Number one, music is such a great coping skill. And I talk about that in my, uh, in my speeches, but, uh, that it's okay to have fun. Even when we don't feel great, even when we don't have a great day, we can still have fun. Um, so that's number two, I'm going to get them moving. Um, and then the third thing I would say, um, for an assembly, uh, is to practice the message that you're delivering, um, make sure that you know it. And when you practice, you know, when you can lean in on the audience, you know, when you can lean out, you know, when you can raise your voice, you know, when you can pause, uh, for, you know, a, a good amount of time. Uh, and so practicing what you're going to say, practicing your speech over and over again, uh, is so important because when you listen to somebody, if they come in and they're like, uh, I think I was. I think I was six. I, I think maybe it was 14 years ago and they don't really know what they're trying to say and trying to communicate. The students tune out, they tune out. And, um, and a lot of people, you know, they're like, oh, your, your assembly is 45 minutes. You can't, you can't make it 45 minutes. They'll never listen to you for 45 minutes. And it's never been a problem. It's never been a problem. So, um, and that's because it's, uh, it's fun and engaging. I connect with the students and I know my material. All right. So you shared three tips for 
youth engagement as it relates to, you know, assemblies and working mm-hmm. in the classrooms. But I know there's a whole heck of a lot more that goes into youth engagement, youth empowerment, because that's what I feel like, like you're empowering these, yeah. these youth. The, and so how would you describe or articulate what is youth engagement? Youth engagement, um, if I was going to give it a, a definition, um, it would be interacting with students on a level where they feel valued, um, they feel heard and they feel respected. Um, that that's how I would define youth engagement for us. And I, like, I can tell you youth engagement, you can come up with a billion ideas. You can go set up a table at a football game. You can go do a open house night with families and uh, you can go buy ice cream at the ice cream shop and tell students it's free ice cream night. We're going to do something fun for you. But if you do not have a relationship with those students to where they trust you, they see how much you value them. Um, they know that you listen. They know that you hear them. Um, that youth engagement is just, you know, it's just going to be all for, all for not because you can spend thousands of dollars doing really cool things, but if they don't feel, um, seen, heard and respected, they're just going to check out on you. And, uh, I mean, youth engagement is, is so important. I, I, I can't even express how important it is. I'll, I'll tell you, um, not to ramble on, but we were talking with students, uh, at a high school, um, one afternoon. And we said, what, what is something you want people to know? Like if you could, if you could just say one thing that, that you want people to know, what would it be? We asked about a hundred students this question. Most of the responses were the same. We have a life outside of school and we need people to understand that. And in that moment we realized, okay, we can communicate this to teachers so that they can connect better with students. Um, cause a lot of times, you know, teachers do such an incredible job. They're so important in the life of a student, but we all can get tunnel vision and we can all forget that, you know, yeah, Johnny didn't turn in his math assignment and he should have focused on his math assignment, but we didn't think about what Johnny had going on after school. And so it was a way for us to communicate with teachers, um, and say, Hey, maybe you can take a couple of minutes before class and just ask students, what do you got going on? Like, what's tonight look like for you? How can, how can I make this class, uh, more beneficial to you while you're here so that when you go home, you don't have to worry about all of the extra work and, and all of the homework and the, and the tests we got coming up, what can I do to make it better? And so it was a really great way of engaging with the youth. We already had the relationship built. They trusted us and they knew that if they told us their answer, that we would hear them, but not only hear them, that we would communicate that back and try to help in, in some way. Was every teacher going to do it? No, there were some. Uh, that came alongside those students and said, Hey, we see you, we get it. 
uh, and, and what can we do to make it better? And, and that comes from youth engagement. That's, that's where youth engagement is like, that's the, like meat and potatoes of it, uh, is helping the students. There's a word you used two times, maybe three. Okay. Uh, I only had one cup of coffee today. Uh, so, but that one word feels like to me that it is the, the crux of youth engagement. Trust. Mm-hmm. How do you build trust with the youth when you're my age or older, or I don't have TikTok or I, how, how could I go about building trust with youth? For us, it's through honesty. Um, you know, there are so many opportunities to talk about the effects of different substances. Uh, and sometimes, um, well, let's take vaping, for example. I hate to even use that because it's just the, it's so talked about. Um, but oftentimes we'll hear from students and they'll go, yeah, it causes cancer. And we go, well, wait a second. We don't have any evidence that it causes cancer. Um, and so we can't say that yet. Do I think that it's going to? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but we can't say that yet. The other part is not just being honest in that aspect. They appreciate that. Um, Mm -hmm. the other part is when you tell them your life story, when you tell a student, I messed up, I, you know, I had F's, I'm, uh, I got caught, um, sneaking out of school. I got caught sneaking out of the house. I, but in a way where you're not glorifying it, where you're saying like, get it. We all mess up. We all make mistakes. Here's the ones that I've made through my life. Uh, and you continue that conversation with them. Um, that's what builds trust with them. It's, it's the first thing that we do. Uh, we actually, um, tomorrow we meet with a group of students, um, 10 students who are going to be in a, um, social emotional learning course, uh, for the next four weeks. We're not teaching them anything. We're going in and saying, this is who I am. This is who I was. This is where I'm at. That's what's going to build trust. They know, um, they know my story. They know that, um, I've disappointed my parents. They know that I've been in trouble at school. Like they know those things and it's easier for them to come to me and say, Hey, when you got in trouble at school, uh, when you got suspended that one time, what, like what happened and, and what was the process and, um, and how did your parents react? And they want your, they want your feedback because they trust you. Uh, and just being honest and open with students about who you are, who you were and where you're going in life. That's what builds trust with them. I don't think there's a better way. Oh, I dig it. When, when I talk about, you know, in prevention, you've got to build relationships and I like to nudge folks and say, go, go one step towards the foundation. What's at the foundation of every relationship? And it's trust, like seek to build trust with folks, but it's always a little bit different about how you go about that other than just being open. Yeah. So it's, it's the same, same with youth. Okay. Yeah. Power of conversations, the power of listening without judgment. That's, that's. 
so important. I, students will drop bombs on you, man. I mean, and, and you don't even have to respond. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, one of the things that we ask students when they come to us is we ask them, do you want us to respond with advice? Do you want us to respond with what, um, what you want to us, what you want to hear, or do you want us to respond at all? And those are our three questions. And I think that helps because sometimes students don't want advice. They don't, mm-hmm. they don't want to hear what, what they expect to hear. They just want somebody to listen. And I, I think mm-hmm. that builds a lot of trust too, that number one, I, I just went and poured my heart out to this prevention coordinator and nobody else knows. There's another Mm -hmm. level of trust there. Like I just, Mm -hmm. I just told him what was going on in my life and the whole school hasn't found out about it. And my teachers haven't said anything about it. I I know I can trust that guy. Mm -hmm. And there's a, you know, there's a a certain level of that. Of course, if there's abuse, um, you know, we have to report that. Um, Mm -hmm. but if we're not, if we're not talking about that, if we're talking about, Hey, my, my parents got into an argument last night and. Uh, I was up till four in the morning and I'm just really tired and I'm mad and, and I don't want to do anything today. And no one else finds out about that. That builds a lot of trust with those students. Those three questions made me nod along so well, because it's a practice my wife and I have gotten into is that, and yeah, I'm not looking for you to problem solve. I just need to talk this through and you just need to, need to get this off my chest kind of thing. Yep. Yeah. And I was going to ask you, you know, as we're entering the holiday season, there tends to be an increase in family time, family conversations. Um, what tips or advice you might offer our listeners that will be around their families more? Um, yeah, but I, I want you to reiterate those three questions. Yeah. So, um, how, um, how do you want me to respond? Do you want me to, to respond at all? Um, or do you want me to respond in a way to where you're just, I'm just saying what you want to hear. Um, mm-hmm. those are, those are the three. And, um, I mean, I use it with my own kids. Oh, they come in, they've had a bad day. And how do you want me to respond? Cause sometimes they, we respond and then it's like, oh, Oh, you know, and, and then it's, oh no, what did I, what have I done? And so it, I think with any family, I think it's important to ask, how do you want me to respond? Um, I will say that if you, if people are spending more time with their families, of course, I'm going to say, make sure you lock up your medication. Um, make sure you lock up your alcohol. Don't leave your vape or cigarettes lying around on a table to where anybody could get them. Like prepare for the holidays, uh, mm-hmm. and also for people that are living, uh, in sobriety, you don't have to explain mm-hmm. anything to anybody. Mm-hmm. You don't have to explain a dang thing. Why don't you drink? That's none of your business. Mm-hmm. It's really, that's really not, you don't have to explain a thing. Just go and you know, enjoy the time and love your life, man. That's it. Yeah. Ah, marvelous. Yes. Right. Like, no, I'm good. I don't need a drink. Hey, what? Yeah. What? Oh, I, it gets so annoying. It makes me not even want to go. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Uh, what? You're not drinking. Why? Right? Like, why do I have to argue with you about right. my choice to not put poison in my body? 
Yeah. That's a whole nother podcast episode right, right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I do though. Okay. So this is a selfish question and it being my podcast, I guess I get to ask it anyways. Um, yeah. I know you shared a little bit in your own personal story about learning sort of to regulate your emotions. And then you talked about that. You teach youth that as well. Granted, my daughter is only six months old, but I am all for learning everything I can to be prepared. What dad advice would you offer me when it comes to teaching her how to regulate her emotions? Yeah, so she's six months old. Um, if you've ever done any um, type of classes or any type of um, education around adverse childhood experiences, um, serve and return is so important for our emotions. So when baby makes a noise, mom and dad need to respond. And it may be like, oh, I, I see you, you know, I, I'm, or maybe it's, it's through touch or um, it's through eye contact. Uh, maybe it's through feeding. But whenever baby makes a noise, mom and dad need to respond. That's building that social engagement for that child. Uh, as they, as they get older, um, the emotional regulation, uh, it comes through, um, it comes through stop, think, and act. Uh, I use this all the time with students. And so I'll give you an example. So I, I coach a student one-on-one, -on -one, um, and we're going through emotional regulation right now. And he's impulsive, very impulsive. I'm going to do it. I'm just going for it and, uh, off and running. And so we were doing some volunteer work the other night and I saw him in action. No stop, think act was happening in his brain. He was going for it. And I was like, whoa, wait, time out. What are we learning? Stop, mm -hmm. think and act. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's implement this right now. Let's stop what we're doing. Let's take a deep breath. Let's count to 10. Let's count to 20. Let's sing the national, whatever it is, you stop what you're doing and you do something different for, for a second or, or 10 seconds. Then you think, you think about what your decision is going to lead to, who it's going to affect and how it's going to affect them. And until you can act in a positive way, you don't move forward. So. If I've decided I'm going to try to climb over a fence that I shouldn't be climbing over, I need to stop what I'm doing. I need to take a deep breath, count to 10, and then I need to think, when I climb over this fence, how is it going to affect me? How is it going to affect my mom and dad? How is it going to affect my teachers? How is it going to affect the community? You know what? I think my action is going to be to walk away and not climb this fence. That's the positive action. Until you can do that, you don't move forward. And so that's how I'm teaching students to manage their emotions. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be upset. But let's, in those moments, mm -hmm. let's practice the stop, think, and act method because when we're angry and we're upset, we can make bad decisions, including alcohol, including tobacco, including marijuana, we can make bad decisions. And so when we're upset, stop, what am I upset about? 
what really at, at the core of this made me mad. Take my deep breath. I recognize this emotion. I recognize that I'm mad. I get it. Think, how does this affect me? How does it affect everybody else? And until I can move forward with a positive action, I'm not going to do anything. And that's really the emotional regulation that we're practice that we're, we're implementing. It takes a lot of practice. It takes a lot of practice. Uh, and you're not going to get it right every time. And, and that's one thing that we, we tell students is, listen, you can have an outburst. You can have a Jerry Maguire moment. Who's coming with me, you know, um, and you learn from it and you move on. Um, but you can put these things into practice and really learn to regulate your emotions. Employers are looking for, um, for people that can regulate their emotions. Uh, it, as an entrepreneur, you've got to, you've got to know to regulate your emotions, man. Uh, cause as an entrepreneur, some things can really tick you off. Uh, and you, you like want to get back at people and I'll show them, you know, and so you got to regulate those things, your family. Family needs a leader in the home that can regulate their emotions um, so that they have that example. And when they get older, they can go, that's a cycle I want to continue. Like my dad was so good at regulating his emotions. I want to do that. You know, mm -hmm. so that's just part of the piece of the puzzle. Um, of course, there's all kinds of coping skills that we teach and, um, mm -hmm. and then um, positive self-talk. That is, um, one of the number one things that we focus on is positive self-talk. Serve and return, stop, think, act, and positive self-talk. Yeah. Okay. I'm yeah. taking notes and, uh, I'm guessing a few listeners may have also taken notes during that. Yeah. Awesome. I will thank you for sharing, sharing that bit of wisdom with us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And just side note, like one of the reasons I re-engaged the VA for, for mental health is knowing we were having a baby and yeah, I I've developed very good coping mechanisms, uh, pretty good emotional regulation. Like I'm, I'm good, but for my daughter, I want to be even better. Yeah. 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 That's the driving force, man. It's amazing how kids will change your life and make you be the best that you want to be. And speaking of kids, uh, you and I are clearly familiar with DAC drug endangered children. Hence we met at yeah. the national DEC conference, but you said that's a big part of your role there too. I want to, before we close out this conversation, that's a very important aspect. So kind of tell us a little bit about that, your role and even what, what is DEC? Yeah. So, um, DEC comes from, uh, the National Alliance for Drug Endangered Children. Uh, we have a state organization, uh, called the Tennessee Alliance for Drug Endangered Children. Uh, and then our coalition is, um, it's embedded in our coalition. Uh, and so I am the Drug Endangered Children Response Team Coordinator. It's a big title. Um, it sounds, um, I know it sounds extravagant and everybody wants to do it, <laughs> but, um, it's, uh, really bringing the community together. Uh, there's this multidisciplinary approach, uh, to where you're getting key stakeholders in the community to be a, 
a part of this. Uh, and it's making a difference to reduce trauma uh, in the lives of children who are drug endangered children. Now I will tell you that um, every child is drug endangered. Um, you know, we live in a society now where uh, it's everywhere. Uh, and so every child would be considered a drug endangered child. Um, but there are some that are living it. They're living in, in their homes, they're um, in the cars, they're seeing it every single day. Uh, and so we focus on partnering with different agencies in our community to help reduce the trauma of children um, living in those situations every single day. So instead of just them experiencing adverse childhood experiences, we're trying to provide positive childhood experiences. Uh, and so that comes through, um, different, uh, different avenues. Uh, so we are getting ready to implement a program called handle with care, uh, here in our community and handle with care is a very simple process. Uh, so if a first responder, um, has an interaction with the, the parents of, of a child and let's say the parents get pulled over, drugs are found in the car, the child's in the car, um, that first responder recognizes the child, um, interacts with the child, um, but provides them, um, what's called a 10 B toolkit, uh, which is a bear and a book, um, about, um, parents who are, um, struggling with substance misuse disorder. And, uh, so that's kind of like step one. The second step, um, is that first responder will send a notification to the school. Um, Hey, here's a heads up. Well, Johnny had an incident last night. That's all we're going to say. Handle with care is all we're going to say. Um, and so that notification goes to the school. So the school, um, just keeps an eye on Johnny. Uh, they, um, they don't approach Johnny and go, oh, I heard about what happened. I, I found out last night. None of that. Uh, if Johnny has some behavior issues, um, they can pull Johnny to the side and say, Hey, are you tired? Are you hungry? Um, are you anxious? Are you nervous? Uh, and then they can provide support for whatever the answer may be. Uh, so Johnny may come in and go to sleep in class. And instead of Johnny getting detention for going to sleep in class, the teacher is going to take Johnny to the nurse's office and tell Johnny, Hey, Johnny, lay down for a little bit. I know you're probably tired. Um, just take a little bit of a nap and then we'll re-engage you here in a little while. Um, giving that child that extra space and that extra comfort um, that they may need because they had a traumatic experience the night before. Uh, so implementing things like that. Um, also getting all departments to communicate together. Uh, so we know that sometimes the sheriff's department will interact with the student and then nobody else knows. Uh, and if we can get the sheriff's department to communicate with the school and the school to communicate with the department of children's services, the department of children's services to communicate with the health department and the health department to communicate with us, we can offer so much to this child and provide so many positive experiences for them. Um, maybe even opportunities that they might not even have, um, without this communication. Uh, it's, it's really, it. The model fits inside coalitions so well because this is what coalitions do. Um, we build community. Uh, we assess the problems. Uh, we look for who has the capacity 
to help. You know, we go through the whole S SPF strategic prevention framework and we make a difference. And that's why DEC fits so well uh, inside coalitions because it's really just doing that. DEC is an oh so important mission. And I love that you use it that it fits so well into coalitions, bringing people together because there's this fellow that just nonstop says prevention is better together and together we are stronger. Yeah. I don't know who that guy yeah. is, but uh, I wonder. <laughs> so that's a head scratcher. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. So I'm going to have to have you back on because there are so many more questions oh. I want to ask and wisdom that I see and we got to get to. But before we wrap up this conversation, I got two questions left. Sure. One being, how can folks get connected with you? Yeah. So, um, first is I'm going to give two websites. Um, mm -hmm. I'm going to give roanantidrug.org. Uh, that is the coalition website. Um, <laughs> number one, uh, I'm going to tell you, I think I'll always be a part of this coalition. Um, I, like I want my, I want my memorial out front. Like that's, I want a statue <laughs> of Nathan Ray out front of the coalition. Um, Roan County Anti-Drug Coalition, uh, RoanAntiDrug.org, um, Roan County Anti-Drug Coalition on Facebook, uh, RCADC uh, on Instagram and TikTok. Um, personally, um, NathanRaySpeaks.com, um, that Nathan Ray on Instagram and Nathan Ray Speaks on Facebook uh, as well. Um, I'm available just about any time. Um, I love what I do and I'm always looking forward to connect with other people and, um, and build relationships and, um, hopefully make a difference, um, everywhere. So yeah, that's how. Rock and roll and listeners, you know, the drill, the show notes will be filled with those links. I'm also going to plug in a couple links to the national Alliance for drug endangered children, both their website, their social media. They also have three free online self-paced courses available too. So if your interest is a little, uh, little, little raised about the whole deck mission, deck approach, um, those courses will be there for you as well. Feel free to use them and, or share them with your community partners. Absolutely. All right. Last question. If you were to tell our listeners, if you're going to remember one thing from this episode, remember this. Um, it would be this emotional regulation is the key to preventative health. If we can regulate our emotions, if we can teach our students to regulate their emotions, they can make good, positive, healthy decision. Great to educate students on the dangers of alcohol, tobacco, and, and other drugs. But it's so great to see the light bulb moments go off for them. It's so amazing to see them put into practice the coping skills and the social emotional regulation skills. It's so cool to watch it and to see them develop and to see their brain developing in the way that they're supposed to develop. Instead of going to a substance and using a substance, they're going to 
What did I learn about emotional regulation? Oh, that's right. Stop, think, and act. And their brains are developing in the way that they're supposed to. And that is so cool. Uh, I, I want to see kids never have to experience a developmental delay because they used a substance before the age of 25. Don't want to see that. But I love seeing them develop skills and using those skills in the moment and seeing that light bulb go off for them. So if you're going to take one thing away, uh, take away the importance of teaching emotional regulation to students. And I won't add anything on top of that, but I will say thank you for not sending my Instagram DM to the spam folder. And thank you for connecting. <laughs> but in all reality, I am so honored that we are, we are friends and I look forward to many, many more conversations and also dinners together, yeah. uh, conferences. And uh, yeah, thank you for for sharing both an insight into your personal story and also sharing your wisdom with us here as well. Keep on rocking and thank you very much. It's been an honor. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. I've enjoyed every minute of it. That concludes this episode. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to hit the subscribe button and share this episode with a friend before you leave. And we look forward to seeing you on social media because prevention is better together. Together, we are stronger. <laughs>